sunny and warm, and I've just been burning up here on the stage. I thought, I'm going to put on the lightest shirt I own today. <laughs> and now I'm like having to blow on my hands. But it's good. God is good, is he not? Welcome to Rimrock Church. What a beautiful morning. And uh, we're so blessed. Hey, what do you think of the stage? We got the beams up on Friday. Thank you, Jesus. One of these days there's going to be a roof over this thing. And uh, we are blessed. I searched the world. But it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. Oh, but you came along and put me back together. Now every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Amen. Come on, let's sing. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing better than you. Sing it again. Come on. You're the only one who can. You're 
Be seated. Boom, here it comes. Uh oh.
Good morning, Rimrock. How are you guys today? Oh, I am so glad to be here with you. I just want to draw your attention to a couple of things that are happening, uh, a couple of details that you're going to find in your bulletin. And uh, some of you are looking around going, I'm not sure that I have a bulletin. We do that uh, uh, electronically now, so you can sign up for that. It'll ding on your phone about 8.30 in the morning, and you'll have everything that you need. Uh, check the website as well. All the details are going to be on there. Let me draw your attention to a couple of things. First of all, if you're new to Rimrock or you've never introduced yourself to us, uh, we would love to get to meet you and to find out a little more about you. On the each side of the meadow here this morning, we have uh, some round tables. You'll find some welcome cards there. We would love for you to use one of those to introduce yourself to us. Uh, you don't go on a spam email list or anything like that, but it allows us to be able to start a conversation with you and uh, let you know how you might get connected with the community here. Uh, another thing that's uh, new is uh, we have some new office hours uh, starting this week. So our office is going to be open Monday through Friday, 9 in the morning until 2 in the afternoon. And we have a couple of fabulous ladies that are answering the phone and uh, really helping hold everything together that we uh, on staff try to mess up. So uh, they're fabulous. Michelle Westvig and Karina Andrews are going to be in our office. So new office hours. You're welcome to leave a message or email anytime and we'll uh, return those calls and emails when we're back in. Uh, remember, uh, right after this service at 1030, we have our uh, community hour. And so there's a uh, several classes for adults as well as classes for all ages of our kids starting in nursery all the way through um, our high school middle school and high school uh, students so stick around for that we would love to have you uh, be a part of some of those small community groups as well uh, next weekend on the 29th um, following this worship service at nine o'clock so at 10 30 we're going to have our baptism service right down here. Um, I think, Tom, are you in charge of heating up the, the <laughs> crick? I yeah. think Tom's in charge of heating the crick. And, uh, but we're going to do baptism service right down here, right after uh, the 9 o'clock service. And then uh, we'll have our all-church picnic. So uh, next Sunday, our downtown campus will be uh, joining us up here. We're just going to have a fabulous time just enjoying this beautiful space and uh, kind of celebrating and kind of wrapping up the summer as well. And uh, so we're excited about that. Just plan to stay after church next Sunday. That would be great. Uh, also want to make sure that you have on your calendar uh, coming uh, Saturday, September 18th. Uh, we're hosting a, a parent seminar uh, here in the uh, at the main campus in the building here. And uh, we're excited to have uh, um, kids from four-year-olds all the way through uh, fifth graders. And we have programming for them and uh, really a, a day for uh, parents and grandparents um, to learn how do we parent the hearts of our kids. And so how do we go beyond just behavior change, but how do we really get to um, the heart that lies behind 
the attitudes and the words and the behaviors and all that. It really is a fun day together, and um, I'm looking forward to sharing that with you guys. So mark your calendars for that September 18th, all right? Would you guys pray with me, and then we'll just continue to worship. God, thank you for the beautiful space that you've given us here. Thank you for the reminder that you've built into all of creation about your nature and your character And, Father, uh, that you want a relationship with us. Father, thank you for inviting us into your presence. As your children, we have access to the throne um, through Jesus Christ. And, Father, we're so grateful for that. As we come and as we worship you this morning, as we continue to lift up our voices, as we engage our minds, as we listen to your word, Father, we pray that you would open our understanding. Father, that you would uh, soften our hearts to respond in obedience to you. Father, that we would give all of our worship to you because you alone are worthy of it. We love you. Amen. Thanks, Boomer. I just thought Andy Cap. I was trying to think who you look like. <laughs> Isn't that that cartoon, Andy Cap? Anyway, <laughs> see, they all thought it was funny, Boomer. <laughs> So the wind has been blowing here this morning, so we have to make sure we got our stuff. So next... uh, Preaching on Psalm 34. It was like this. I sought the Lord answered me and delivered me from every fear. Those who look on him are radiant. They'll never be ashamed. They'll never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard me Save me from my enemy. The Son of God surrounds his saints. And he'll deliver them. And he'll deliver them. Oh, magnify the Lord with me.
Lord and He answered. I sought the Lord and He answered. I sought the Lord and He answered me. Come on, sing that with us. Sing. I sought the Lord and He answered. I sought the Lord and He answered. I sought the Lord and He answered me. Sing it again. Come on. I sought the Lord and He answered. I sought the Lord and He answered. I sought the Lord and He answered.
thinking about that you know next week with the with the uh, baptism you know holy water anyway god thank you so much lord we bless you that you are the god of the sun and the god of the rain god of the good times and the bad times you never leave us you never forsake us and as nick comes up to share what you've been laying on his heart god we need to hear from you your forgiveness and your spirit breaking through in our lives is what we need, God. So I pray that you would just break through and speak through Nick. Listen through us, God. Do your work. Do a work in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. shared we're going to be in psalms 34 and we're kind of coming to the end of our series that we're in the psalms we've got a, a few more weeks here uh, but this psalm is an acrostic psalm and, and we've had that actually three times which is pretty unique uh, in this series and so really uh, there are still some themes in this psalms and, and we'll talk about those uh, but there's also some some poetry that needs to be uh, fit into here, and so David, the, the psalmist who is ascribed to this psalm, uh, he goes from one one thought to another to continue and carry on that theme, but uh, Dan is going to come up, Dan Hagerty, one of our elders, is going to read this to us, um, and if you're willing and able, if you would stand 
But before Dan starts to read, I want you to look for a few themes that take place in this psalm. One uh, is God delivers, God provides, and God protects. So there's a, a focus and a theme, rightly so, on the character of God and his actions towards man. Uh, there's a couple verses that declare God's justice, where he opposes evil and he stands with uh, the righteous. And there's only, there's only two psalms that are, are kind of uh, commands or instructions in the psalms, and it, or in this, in this specific psalm. And it says, those two, we'll read them real quick. Keep your tongue away from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. But for the most part, it has these declarations, and this is what I want you to listen to, a declaration about who God is, and then also a declaration of the psalmist himself. Trouble, poor, brokenhearted, fearing the Lord, in a humble state, or righteous. And so as, as Dan reads this, if you guys would just uh, turn your hearts uh, towards uh, hearing from God. You can follow along in the bulletin. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What good is there who desires life and loves many days that he may seek good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Thank you, Dan. You may be seated. Uh, my desire, and on the way up, I, uh, a prayer kind of came to my heart, and then before the service, I prayed the same thing up here as a group, and that was, as we magnify today that many strongholds in our lives will be shattered and broken. And by strongholds we mean those things that uh, we are just so prone to believing but lead us into bondage. And I really truly believe that the more accurately we see God and his heart towards us, 
they, they change, fall away. And so that's, that's my real desire today. So Psalm 34 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. My mouth makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and exalt his name together. So when I think of praising God, I think a, a great place to start any intentional pursuit of God is praise. And so that's the, the template that you get here from David as well. So whether it's as a church corporately or whether it's in my own heart privately in prayer, I think there's nothing more fitting to praise God, to exalt his name. And I just allowed me to ask the question of myself and I ask of you, if we are in the habit of praising God verbally, are we in the habit of praising God together? There's a lot of different ways we do this. Uh, one is through music, where it's, it's a verbal praise, it's instruments in our voices together in, in praise. And so many times when, when I get to engage in that, whether I'm singing or just observing or watching, uh, my heart is encouraged and I feel like God is exalted for me as a body uh, and as an individual. There's other ways, though. There's I, I've been keeping track of a few things that I hear people say just in the, in the flow of daily life, during conversation. Uh, I hear, God has been so good to me. There's a praise. God always provides and cares for me. There's a praise. I am blessed. There's a praise. God is with me. God knows. God will take care of you. How many times as you're engaging in conversation, is just the natural outflow as you're talking about your day or a circumstance, uh, whether it be a good or a bad one, you just usher in this praise of God in your heart and then verbally. Let me read verses 4 through 10, and if you would follow along here. It says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried to the Lord, and he heard them, and saved him from all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack, and young lions suffer want and hunger. But those who fear the Lord lack no good thing. And so... All throughout this psalm, you hear this idea of fearing the Lord. And if we compare that or combine that idea with this, this idea of praise, I want to unpack a little bit of what I understand that to mean. Uh, the first is as we look through the themes in Psalm 34, again, we get deliverer, protector, provider. And so the, the natural question is, who did God deliver? Who did God provide for? Who did God protect? And it seems in this psalms, and, and actually all throughout this book, uh, it's those who exalt him in their lives. So those who exalt him in their lives with their words, but also with their thoughts and their actions. And I think that brings us to what it means to fear the Lord. And so many times I think the understanding is to fear God is to give him reverence and awe, to respect his power understand that he is greater, to understand that I am outmatched by him in all areas, to humble myself underneath him, 
For to fear the Lord is to have a great respect and awe for his power, and then to approach him in a, an appropriate way. One of the benefits that I found in praising God first is I believe that it recalibrates my perspective. And so here's what I mean by that. Many of us think that we are too big, that we become, it's so natural to become the center of your universe, that your agenda is most important, or that you're in charge or responsible to control the things and the circumstances of your life. Or perhaps you're one that constantly feels outmatched by the circumstance, where the world is too big, or the, the situation you find yourself in is too big. And so either way leads to, I believe, really unhealthy lifestyles where we are walking uh, not by faith, but by fear. And I truly believe that when I first praise and exalt God, it just recalibrates that perspective where God is big where he's bigger than me and he's bigger than my circumstance. And my experience and my observation is that when I understand the majesty of God, there's a peace that settles into my heart that all is going to be okay. There's also a posture that settles into my soul that puts me in beautiful submission to a God who loves me and who is in control. I want to read for you Revelation 5, and it's just one of many places in the Bible that give me that proper perspective. We won't read this whole thing, but you don't have to turn there if you don't want, but just listen here. It says, Then I saw the right hand of him who is seated on the throne, and a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and to look into it. And I began to weep loudly. And then one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scrolls with the seven seals. And as he took the scroll, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, which are, and the prayers of the saints rose up, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain by your blood. You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign over all the earth. And the myriads of thousands of thousands of angels said, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. When I set my mind on the majesty of God, when I set my mind of the everlasting presence of the Creator Almighty, and when that's the first thing on my heart, it begins to, to settle in, and all of a sudden there is a frame or there's a lens for me to look through every circumstance, to look into every person, including myself. And so my encouragement is, as David says, the praise of the Lord is on his lips continually. My encouragement is, as you approach God, as you approach life, let's get into a habit where the first thought, the first thing, the first action, the first words are praise unto our God. 
Verse 5 says this, Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. So the picture that the psalmist gives us here is gazing at God, gazing at each other. And it's not one that I think we need to try to figure out what the look of his face is, but it's the attitude behind. And we know, as we just interact with each other, so many times you look into another individual's countenance or their eyes, and you can tell and you can understand what's going on in their soul. And so this idea of looking at God, and it says that when we look upon him, our faces become radiant, and our faces will never be ashamed. I think the psalmist is giving us this picture of confidence in the relationship. Where any time you set your eyes towards God, you see him looking at you. And you see him looking at you with delight. You see him looking at you with full acceptance, full assurance of his love for you. It is the fact that you can rest in that relationship. Now, a lot of times we experience the opposite with people, but sometimes we experience what this looks like. Uh, I have a story of a child who was caught in his sin, and the young boy um, disrespected his mom in a lot of ways and was being defiant and disobedient, and so his dad stepped in to take care of it. And after a few interactions, he felt great shame. And as the dad walked him to his room to have a one-on-one, he knelt down and he grabbed his face and he reminded him of his love. He reminded him of his position and his acceptance. He reminded him that he was proud of him as his son. And then they went on as the son settled in to confidence of that relationship. As the shame that he felt of himself went away, then they went on to discuss the consequences and to discuss how to apologize and how to make it right. Another story came to mind of a teenager who was caught in her sin. And as the dad discovered and had evidences of this sin, typical teenage sin, and went down to her room to address this, uh, God put it on his heart two things. One, and I think this is great wisdom, whenever you have to address a teenager with conflict, your job is to go with the lowest blood pressure as possible. But two, placed on his heart that the first thing that he did is he took a, a paint can of crimson paint, and as they sat down on the bed, he painted it over her doorway, And he went on to proclaim to her and remind her that the blood of Christ, which covers her, has pardoned her from this very sin, from these acts, that she is totally and completely forgiven and loved and accepted by one, Father of heaven and earth, and two, her earthly father. And after the relationship was established, after shame went away, so she could begin to dare to make eye contact, so she finally could have a little bit of the courage that perhaps even in the midst of being caught in sin, there is no shame within her. Even in the midst of being caught in sin, perhaps her face is still radiant towards Father. Then they went on to discuss the consequence. Then they went on to discuss right and wrong. There are still consequences as we know. But understanding and reminding one each other and two, your own heart, as you go to repent before God or as you feel yourself hiding in your shame and therefore hiding from God, to remind and preach to your own heart and your own soul that your union with Christ has established such relationship strength that will never change and never go away, that yes, that behavior needs to be dealt with and God deals with my behavior because he loves me.
But that behavior is not in sync and that behavior is not in line with who he has made me to be. And in that, I think, in that truth, I find the courage where, the, where God is big, his grace is big, and I find the courage to come before him once again. I find the courage to stop hiding and I find the courage to own my sin and take the consequence of my action. There's been a lot of people that I experienced, there's a lot of you sitting out there that shame kind of feels like a constant enemy, that it seldom goes away, that there's always this thought that something's wrong with you, that you don't belong, that internally, deep inside you, something is broken. And one reality is, apart from God, there's something terribly broken for all of us. And we come to understand and know that there's almost a relief because it ushers in our deep, deep need for Jesus. And that's repentance that leads to salvation, right? But the other thing that I think truly breaks down this stronghold and destroys sin is understanding, which is proclaimed all throughout the New Covenant, specifically Romans 6, is understanding our union with Christ Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. Understanding that that broken me, that that thing that was totally wrong, that was my identity and my nature, that I couldn't get away from and I couldn't get out of me, that when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, it says that that old man died with him. It was crucified and buried. And if I've been killed with Christ, I have been raised with Christ. That resurrection Jesus is applicable to me. 2 Corinthians says, old things have passed away and new things have come. If you've continually fought with shame, I believe that focusing on and meditating on and praying and declaring to your own heart and to anyone else who will listen, that your union with Jesus Christ will shatter that shame. Part of the reason why is I believe it, it speaks directly to your identity, correct? That we have an identity when it's, in, and I really believe that the identity that you assign yourself establishes a couple things. One, it establishes your expectation for life. And two, it establishes what you consider your potential. And so I've seen many people who, when they become Christians, but they still feel like they're worthless. They still feel like they're alone because of their thoughts and their actions and their deeds. They still feel like there's this chasm between the God who, yes, they love and has punched their ticket to heaven, but they don't experience the oneness that somebody else does. When that gap is still there, they have this thought of trying out Christianity or trying to be a good Christian, but they always have this ceiling on their potential because they don't feel like it's truly who they are. And so we find ourselves trying to play or pretend to be a Christian. And we get incredibly discouraged. Because I believe if the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't go down to who your identity is and this rebirth with him, it doesn't go deep enough. And so understanding, accepting the identity that you have if you have placed your faith in Jesus, that he is in you and you are in him, I believe that will begin to establish what you expect in life what you expect after life on this earth, and it will begin to establish what you see your potential is. And those two things combined, I believe, bring tremendous hope. In fact, a hope that cannot be shattered. 34.15 says, The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and he hears his cry. 
In other words, when you look towards God, He's always seeing you. When you change your focus upon the things that are in front of you towards God, and David says his praise is continually on your lips. Thessalonians says, I pray without ceasing. I don't understand that to mean we're constantly bowing our heads and closing our eyes. I think just somewhere in the back of our minds, there's a consciousness that I am with God and he is with me. That there's nowhere on earth or no place under the earth or nowhere above that I can go that I am not seen by my Father. And that's a very encouraging thought. 34.11 says, Come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. This is a beautiful challenge and a beautiful encouragement for us to continue to teach our sons and our daughters what it is like to exalt God in their life. 34, 9 through 10. To me, this is one of the most uh, perhaps troubling verses. Uh, Hard to know what to do with when I look at what it says in our experience. It says this, O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lion suffers want and hunger, but those who fear the Lord lack no good thing. It echoes what David also says in Psalms 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. So my question is, what does it mean to lack no good thing? What does it mean to lack nothing? Because I'm sure if you take an inventory of your life, you you see a lot of things that are lacking. You see a lot of things that are broken. You see a lot of things that are missing. You see a lot of things that you've strived for and they never come. Or you see things that you have and they're gone. And so how can God declare that those who seek him or those who can declare him as their caretaker lack no good thing? I believe, first, we need to understand that God is the one who defines good. That God is the one who knows the beginning and the end. That God is the one who is wiser than me and understands what I need. He understands what's best for me, like a parent for a small child. We must allow God to know, or we must know within our hearts, that God is the one who defines good, and entering into trust of his character settles us to accept all things and to be able to grab hold of and claim verses like Romans 8.28, It says, God causes all things to work together for the good. It doesn't mean everything in life is good. I believe there's tons of things in life that grieve God, that God hates. This verse talks about God opposing evil. So we're not declaring that everything in life is good. What we're declaring is the exalted, sovereign God takes everything in life and works it to your good takes everything in life and works it to his glory. And if that's the case, if that's the perspective, if that's the belief, if that's the mindset, we all can declare those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. There's a man in scripture named Paul, and in Philippians, uh, he declares this, and we'll, we'll finish with uh, watching how he applies this doctrine and this theology to his life. A quick reminder of Paul, he suffered many things. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Uh, He did some horrible things by persecuting the church and the people who followed Jesus. And then Jesus uh, changed him by making him blind, rode to Damascus, uh, sees his need, converts him to a follower of Jesus, and he writes many books of the New Testament. 
And Paul, as he's working his gospel mission, says things like, I work, yet not I, but Christ through me. There was this union that Paul had. He said, for all of this I labor, but not I, but the power of Christ through me. Every time he declared his work, it was me and God. Me, rather God. He had such a understanding of the Holy Spirit inhabiting, inhabiting and empowering him that in some senses it was one and the same when he was declaring his gospel mission. And so from that mindset, from that understanding of remaining and connecting and abiding in the Spirit of God, he says things like this while he's in prison. This is Philippians 1, 19 through 21. He says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that this will turn out for my deliverance. So there's that word again. As it is my eager expectation and hope, there's identity language, that I will not be put to shame. But with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So if we listen carefully, Paul says that he's convinced that he will be delivered. But listen to what he defines as deliverance. He says, I will be delivered from this hardship, whether I live and get freed from prison, perhaps, or whether I die and be freed from my earthly body. So here's a man who understands so deeply his union with God. He understands so deeply that God loves him and will never forsake him. That to him, there is no shame. He finds courage and his hope is anchored in that relationship. That whether I live or whether I die, it's gain. It's deliverance. It's good. God will be honored in my life, he declares. And I believe that we, at this time, have the same opportunity to ask God to radically deepen our faith that we know so confidently that the Father looks upon us with love, that shame has absolutely no place for a Christian, that we have godly sorrow and conviction and perhaps ashamed of some of our actions, but we understand our relationship with the Father of all things, our relationship with the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, our relationship with Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, is in such a good, acceptable, perfect spot that we never, ever, ever wear shame. And that with courage, we can declare that God will be honored in our body, whether by life or by death. With full assurance, we can say, I lack no good thing. Let's pray. Father, it's been such a, a blessing for me, and I pray for the rest of your body, and I pray that you would continue to anchor it into my life, that uh, we live our lives as Christians in partnership with God. That to walk with God is to understand that your spirit moves in us and through us. But I pray as, as we as your people look to our identity and look to take hold of, of truly who we are, that it would be more than a partnership. 
that it would be a union, a connection so deep that we can't get outside of you and you can't get outside of us. That your word says nothing can separate us from your presence, from your love, from your purpose. And so we exalt you and we honor you because we understand that it is your grace and grace alone that holds us. That we abide in you by your love. And I pray that we would be a people who continually exalt and praise you, who continually place ourselves underneath your lordship so that we might partner with you in furthering the gospel. And in doing so, it might bring us peace. It might bring us joy. We pray all these things in your precious name. Amen. Thanks, I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made When it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus Sing with us, sing that chorus with us, say, I'm coming back to you.
thank you so much. And it's all about you. And on this beautiful day, Lord, we just want to lift you up. God bless you guys. Don't uh, forget about the adult groups and the kid groups that are meeting now up at the church. And uh, let's uh, just sing that chorus to him one more time. I'm coming back to you. 